Life is always funny, isn't it? I had plans for yesterday, plans for today, plans. And then some guy skated in from out of town and kind of changed a few of those things. But uh, really excited to see Daniel. And, um, his dad is a former pastor and looking to become a missionary in Ireland, of all places. Um, he doesn't even drink beer, so I don't uh, Anyway, um, last Sunday we had a really special moment. I felt like a lot of people came up to me after the service and just said, wow, the Spirit really hit me today. Um, it was just a powerful day. And part of that was that church is hard liturgy that we did after the sermon. And, um, and we want to thank Becky for introducing that to us a couple weeks ago. And so that will also, we'll include that in the upcoming messenger for those of you that might have missed it or if you just want to have it. It, it was just a really neat, uh, neat thing that we did. Um, and it kind of fit into that uh, right now because we're going through our, our vision statement and our mission statement in the sermon series and kind of saying, well, okay, we've written these new statements, but what does that mean? <laughs> you know, a lot of times companies and organizations and uh, they'll get these new statements and they'll say, oh, that's great. Let's put it on the wall and, okay, it looks nice. And then they just keep doing business as usual. But we want to make sure that it uh, makes an ch effective change in how we approach uh, what we do and, and who we are. So uh, today we focus on that section close to the end that says that we are a community of faith in Jesus Christ. That was last week. And then today that cares for and serves one another that cares for and serves one another. It kind of works right out of that focusing last week and recognizing that church is hard sometimes, but we're here because of Jesus Christ and our faith in Jesus Christ. But now we want to say, well, how can we make church less hard <laughs> and more appealing to each other? Um, and so I'm going to do something a little different. I'm using a different preaching style than I normally do. This kind of harkens back to my old Baptist days, really, when the pastor would start calling out these different passages, and, and, and he'd say, okay, and then and the Bible says this from chapter this and this, and, and just about the time you get to it, he's moved on to the next verse, and you're kind of like, well, wait a minute, and I would sit there in my pew as a kid going, I'm, I'm totally lost the whole time. So I thought, you know, why not make my congregation lost today, and um, so actually what I did in the bulletin is I, I printed all the passages that I'm going to cite today. They're right after uh, the sermon title in the bulletin. So you have them. You don't have to jump to those passages. In fact, I would, I would advise you not to because you'll spend all your time trying to find them. And um, better just to kind of maybe take a note from each one of what we focus on on those passages, and then you have something to refer back to at a later time. I'll read each one, not the long ones, but each one as we come to it. We just read Ecclesiastes chapter four. Uh, I read that from the pulpit. Two are better than one. That's kind of the way God created us. I mean, I oftentimes say the image of God is in the fact that God created male and female. He created community. He created us to be in community because God, as Trinity, is community. So um, what's funny about Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is it, it's kind of in line, as I would say, it, with 1 Corinthians 13. 
I always joke about 1 Corinthians 13 because we always read it at weddings, right? But Paul was sent it to the Corinthian church because they were having problems. They were not treating each other well. And so it's written to a bunch of church people, members, but we like to read it at weddings and we like to kind of say it's romantic love and it's not really romantic love. It's more about agape love and more about phileo uh, love, the love between brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and the same can be true here. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine through 12, we read this sometimes at weddings too. Two are better than one. And we think the two here, that are here, this lovely couple, two are better than one. Um, but it never mentions husbands and wives. It just says two. Could be two men, two women, two people. Just two people. In fact, if you think about it, Solomon wrote this. So if he'd been true to this, and it was about husbands and wives, it might have been 300 or better than one. A cord of 700 concubines is not easily broken. You know, he had a thousand wives, so, yeah. Okay. It just says two are better than one. One falls and the other can help the other up. I know Tom has a little difficulty walking now because of sciatica or something? Hips. So he got up to the top of the stairs and what did he do? David Roman was there, and he kind of grabbed his shoulder. Two are better than one. If David hadn't been there, Tom might have gone over. I don't think so, but. Uh, two stay warm at night. I know that works well when you're talking about a wedding, but you know what this reminded me of? How many, you know, this will show you how old I am. How many of you remember in school watching Nanook of the North? Come on, admit it. Nanook of the North, a few of you. Okay, so Nanook of the North was about an Eskimo family. And Eskimo families live in igloos. They sleep in igloos. Those are houses made with ice. Igloos do not have heaters. <laughs> they don't have a fireplace. It's not conducive to have a fire inside of an igloo. You are surrounded by ice. It's cold. So what do they do? The whole family sleeps in one bed together because that's how they stay warm. It's, uh, I'm sure the therapists in the group could have a heyday with that, but to stay warm at night. And sometimes I think we kind of romanticize this, but in the old days, if it was cold outside, you didn't care if the guy stunk or whatever, you just got close because they were warm, right? You just did what you, did, you needed to do. And then it talks about defense, that um, if you're in battle, man, you don't want to be alone in battle because your back is exposed always. But if you are with somebody else, I got your back. That's where that came from. I got your back. And Solomon goes on, wisest man in history. Three is even better. Three is stronger. It's not easily broken. And then John 13, what Tom read, well-known passage to us all, that whole foot washing thing. This is probably one of the greatest examples of service. And we're talking about caring and serving one another, right? Of service, washing feet of another. I mean, this is something that's just basic hygiene, right? 
in those days, you walked around in sandals, uh, you want to wash your feet. You want to keep them clean. You don't, you're washing, I mean, you're walking around in areas. I don't know if you've ever been in developing countries where the latrine is running down the middle of the street. You want to wash your feet. You're, the rest of you might be clean, but when you walk into a house, you want to wash your feet. That was just basic, basic hygiene in those days. No matter what, there wasn't a lot of water around those days. You didn't take a shower every morning like you do nowadays. You, but you did wash your feet every day. That was just what you did. Um, it was also a form of hospitality. If somebody came to your house, you would have their feet washed. And it was a form of a purification rite in the Jewish faith. And that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples when he was washing their feet. That was purification for the Passover meal. It was also considered one of the low, this and the latrines. I would put latrines higher myself as a, the lowest form of servitude. But the, if you had seven servants, your lowest servant did the foot washing, okay? It was the lowest form of servitude. Uh, sometimes wives would wash their husband's feet, but that was considered an act of love. Uh, children sometimes washed their parents' feet as an act of honor and respect. Uh, students washed their rabbi's feet, but rabbis never washed their students' feet. It was unheard of, but that's what Jesus did. He stripped down to a towel and washed their feet. And then he said, a new commandment I give unto you, now, it sounds a lot like the old commandment, right? <laughs> Love your neighbor as yourself. But it's not. He said, Love one another as I have loved you. So he set the bar even higher. Don't just love your neighbor as you would yourself. Love your neighbor as I have loved you, because I've loved you even better than you love yourself. Think about what Jesus has done in his love for us. He went to the cross. And then he says, by this all people will know you are my disciples. When we love each other, when we care for each other, when we serve each other, people go, wow, Jesus is present in that community. Now the opposite is also true. When we hurt each other, when we're divisive, when we treat each other poorly, people say, Jesus is not there. Jesus is mocked because of that. I know we can blame culture, we can blame the media, we can blame technology, we can blame all these other things, the devil, whatever, for damaging the gospel. But when the church treats itself and each other poorly, I think it does more damage to the gospel than anything else. When we care for each other and serve each other, we proclaim the gospel to the world. People will know that you are my disciples when you love each other the way I've loved you. So here at First Presbyterian Church, we're seeking to be a faith community that cares for and serves one another. Okay, now I'm going to go through these verses pretty quickly. Matthew 18, 15. Don't look it up. Just listen. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained the one. 
Now, why have I read this? This goes on to say, gives kind of a pattern of how you restore somebody. The point here is that the church is meant to be about forgiveness. It's meant to be about reconciliation. It's meant to be about restoration. It's not meant to be about condemnation, about putting other people down, about pushing people out. We're supposed to be about restoring relationship. That's how we care for each other and serve each other. Romans 12, 15. Listen up. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's one of my favorite verses. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In a word, that's just empathy, right? That's just empathy. Uh, what I love is it doesn't say, when somebody's weeping, fix the problem. I, uh, that's my nature, right? Somebody comes to me with a problem and I'll fix it for them. And people sometimes don't want to have that problem, don't need to have that problem fixed. They just want somebody to weep with them. And sometimes the problems can't be fixed. If somebody has lost a loved one or if somebody's lost a job or if somebody's lost uh, finances or something, you can't just fix it but you can sit with them and be present with them and cry with them. And the opposite is also true. Rejoice with those who rejoice. I mean, you ever get that when people come in and they're really super happy and something's happened great in their life and you're like, oh, brother. Get over yourself. You know, I had a friend a, a year ago that, that received a major grant and he went to Italy to, to study. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, <laughs> that was confession time. That was sheer envy on my part, right? I was just ticked off that somebody hadn't given me a grant to do something like that. Um, <laughs> my response, I think, was, well, yippee for you. <laughs> I didn't say that to his face, but that's the way I felt, you know. Um, but if we really care for somebody, we rejoice when they're rejoicing. Um, and if we really care for somebody, we weep when they are weeping. Just sit with them and cry. Don't try and fix it. Galatians 5.14. Hear this. The whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now remember, this is agape love. Agape love isn't uh, romantic love. It's not just love of friendship, but it's seeking the spiritual best for another. I've said that many, many times. Agape is seeking the spiritual best for another. If we all did that, man, the world would be a better place, right? If we were constantly looking for how can I help you in your spiritual life? How can I help you grow in your faith? I included this verse partially because it leads us to the next one, Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law. Bear one another's burdens. That's another sense of empathy, right? Letting people know they're not alone. If you're going through a difficult time, if you're carrying a heavy burden, I'm with you. 
we ask the question, what can I do to help? I mean, look around the sanctuary right now. Go ahead. You're all like, if I look somebody, I might catch my eye. Look around. Everyone in this room has something that they're happy about. Everyone in this room has a burden they're carrying. If we care for each other and if we serve each other, then we carry those burdens together. Uh, a few years ago, um, I posted some pictures about the La Samia volunteer um, tutoring program that we have here at the church on Facebook, on Instagram. And I got contacted from a former uh, student of mine from St. Andrew's Youth Group. She said, hey, my dad just retired. He's a retired educator. And he needs things to do. <laughs> and I saw the La Samia tutoring program. You think he would be okay doing that? And I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> so he's been tutoring ever since. It's been about five years now. He's one of our best tutors. Knows how to work with kids. Knows kids. Knows how to educate. Really great. But a couple years ago, I found out that his wife had cancer, bad cancer. And she's been fighting that cancer ever since. And I see him, and ironically, they work out at the same gym that I go to. So I see them at the gym occasionally, and so we talk. So this last week, I saw him downstairs at the tutoring program, and I said, I said, hey, how's your wife? And his comment was interesting, because I thought he was going to say, I don't know we could have gotten through it without our faith in Jesus Christ. I thought he was going to say that. What he did say was, I don't know how we could have gotten through it without our covenant group, our small group Bible study group that we meet with every week because they have been praying for us. They have been reaching out for, to us. They've been calling us. They've been bringing us meals. They've been reaching out. I don't know how we could have done it without them. And I was like, oh, my God. That's what it means to care for and serve each other. You just can't help bear the burdens. Life is tough. Sometimes it's more tough, and so those people that are kind of going through good times can reach out and say, okay, well, I'm going to help you carry that burden. And other times, you're the one that needs help with your burden being carried. So help out. Okay, next, next passage, Hebrews 10. We read this last week at the end of The Church is Hard. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so what, what jumps out at you there? Provoking one another to love and good deeds. Encouraging one another. I did a sermon on encouragement a few years ago, and I remember, what's the antonym of encouragement? Discouragement. You're taking the courage away from somebody. So how do you develop courage in another? How can we provoke one another to love and good deeds? I think it's one of the greatest paradoxes of our current society. Paradoxes, is that a word, or is it paradoxi? Or paradox. Paradoxes. Paradoxin, <laughs> paradoxers, I don't know. So um, one of the great paradoxes of our, that we feel like we're more connected with everybody, but we're really more isolated than ever. And, uh, and it, I think that bears out in the fact that the teen suicide rate has tripled in the last 10 years. 
I think church is a place where we can let people know they're not isolated, especially our young people. You all have a unique uh, gift that you can give to young people, just showing them that you care about them, letting them know you know their name, letting them know you're praying for them, letting them know that you care about them. Um, that's what an intergenerational church is about. You know, when I go to the park, most of the time I see parents sitting around with their kids playing and the parents are on their cell phones. But if the kids are with grandma or grandpa, grandma and grandpa are in the sandbox playing. So those of you that are older, get in the sandbox with these kids around here and play with them. I'm really happy that a lot of you have volunteered and are, going and are helping with our children's ministry. That's a huge step um, and, a, and a great bearing of burdens there as well. Um, but because we're more isolated, I think that's one reason that the author of Hebrews says, don't neglect meeting together. Don't stop meeting together. And in this culture, it's more and more, I don't need to go to church. I experience God out in the fields. When I go up into the mountains. When was the last time you were in the mountains? Oh, four years ago. Yeah, how often do you go to church? Never. Christmas. Christmas, I go to Christmas. I'll see you there. The only reason I don't like going to because you always sing the same songs. Silent night, joy to the world. Um, okay. Last verse. 1 John 3.18. I think this sums it up beautifully. Little children. I love John. He always calls his readers little children. He's talking to y'all, to me. Little children, let us love, not in word or deed, but in truth and action. Don't just tell me. Show me. Don't just talk the talk. Walk the walk. What's that song from the musical, My Fair Lady? Don't tell me about love. Show me. Right? It's a great song. And that encapsulates this verse. Don't tell me about love. Don't tell me that you love me. Show me. Here at First Presbyterian Church, we're seeking to be a community of faith in Jesus Christ that cares for and serves one another. Let's not just talk about it, let's do it. When we care for and serve one another, all people know that we are Jesus' disciples. If we love one another as Jesus loves us. Our vision and mission statements are meant, not meant to be words. They are meant to give us a sense of identity and a sense of purpose, and they inform our decisions, uh, the decisions that we make, and the actions that we take. And may we do all to glorify God.